Ezekiel chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 8 and 9. Ezekiel 2, verses 8 and 9. God speaking to Ezekiel and he says, But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give to you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. All right. Tonight's question as we get started is this. How was Israel rebellious? We've dealt with last week, we looked at the history of Israel. But can anybody give me a succinct way to describe how Israel was rebellious? How was Israel rebellious? All right. What did you say? Idolatry. Idolatry. Somebody else? Turning to other gods. Idolatry. Go ahead. Murmuring. Very good. Complaining is murmuring. Disobedience. Can we put it all into one category then and say this? They rejected and ignored the word of God. I think that's a good way to put it. They rejected and ignored the word of God. Now we're going to deal tonight with why. And there's actually a lot of reasons for why. Why did they reject and ignore the word of God? Well, the first reason we're going to look at is the fact that they thought they knew better than God. If you go back to Adam and Eve, we're not going to turn there. But you know the story of Adam and Eve. They had been commanded by God that they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they were to eat of any other tree in the garden. And even though they knew God said, don't eat of this tree for the day you eat of it, you'll die. Satan comes along and whispers in their ear and says, he doesn't really mean that. And he gave them a choice, whether or not they believed God or whether or not they believed Satan. And the scripture then goes on and says, And when they saw that the, the, fruit, the fruit on that tree was good for food and able to make one wise, they decided they knew better than God. Go to Judges chapter 17. Look at verse 6. Judges chapter 17, verse 6. Now let me just tell you again, let me remind you, as we look at all these things... I hope that every one of us in here realizes I have this same problem. Because of our flesh, we have this same problem. In Judges chapter 17, look at verse 6. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Oh, yeah, we're definitely doing that now. Go to Proverbs chapter, 20, chapter 16. Proverbs 16, look at verse 25. Another very, very familiar passage. But I want you to see where it is so you can mark it down. And begin to kind of put it in your heart. Proverbs chapter 16, look at verse 25. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Folks, plain and simple, if we're really honest, the scripture even says, let every, let every man be true and God be a liar. You know, every, or God be true and every man a liar, is, is, is what the scripture talks about. And the fact that we as humans have this problem where we think we know better, even though God has said and I'm not going to ask for examples because every one of us in this room could attest to the fact that even though you know what the scripture says and or you've known what the scripture says, you've done the opposite. Because when that time came and you were tempted to do opposite of what God had said, you thought in this instance that doesn't really apply or you thought you knew better. And part of the reason why Israel was rebellious they re the, the reason, the, the way they were rebellious, they rejected and ignored God's word. But part of the reasons why was because they thought they knew better. They also had another issue, which we all have. Go to Romans chapter 3 and look at verses 9 through 18. They lived for themselves 
and had no real fear of God. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. Hopefully you understand that the scripture says in the book of Proverbs that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One brings understanding. But listen to Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. Paul says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under, the, under sin, as it is written. No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, let me just point something out to you here. In your Bibles, if it's like mine, that section that I read there in verses uh, 11 and following, or the second part of verse 10 and following, all the way through 18, is it kind of a little bit different in its uh, font than the rest of yours? You know why? All of that is quoting from the Old Testament. Paul's just simply quoting from the Old Testament, things that God had said already. And it describes the fact that the reason why all are guilty because of sin is because ultimately there is no fear of God in their eyes. Now, there's another reason why Israel re uh, rejected and ignored God's word. They saw obeying God as a chore and a burden and a duty instead of the, the path to his blessings and peace. Let me say this to you again, because we're going to spend a little bit of time here. Because I think a lot of us, if we're honest, this is kind of the thing we've wrestled with many times in our lives as well. They saw obeying God as a chore and a burden and a duty instead of the path to God's blessings and peace. So go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 15. I'm going to take you all the way back to where God began to reveal his law and his word to the nation of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, look at verses 1 through 15, and look at what God says in the blessings that He offers. God says, says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, Moses is speaking, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all His statutes and His commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you didn't build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst. The Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. 
lest the anger of your Lord be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. So here God, as he lays it out, he says through Moses, look, these commandments that I'm giving you, I want you to listen to them. I want you to obey them. I want you to fear God. And if you do, he's going to bless you. He's going to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. And you're actually not going to go into a land flowing with milk and honey. You're actually going to go into land where there's houses you didn't build. There's going to be wells you didn't dig. All this stuff is just going to, I'm just going to pour it out in your lap. But if you don't listen to me, if you don't obey my words and follow my commands, you're going to miss out on these blessings and you're going to suffer the consequences of it. Now, Go to Jeremiah chapter 5. I am doing on my radio program uh, now on Monday through uh, Friday, I'm doing the book of Jeremiah. On Saturdays, I'm still in Proverbs. But on my radio program in, uh, on Monday through Friday, we're in the book of Jeremiah. And just recently, as I was recording some radio for a few weeks away from now, by the way, a lot of people have said to me when they'll come up, they've heard my radio program, and they'll say, really, I liked what you talked about today. And I'll always say, tell me what I talked about, because I recorded that three weeks ago. But in Jeremiah chapter 5, as I was just recording this this past week, look at verses 20 through 25. And verse 25 jumped off the page at me as I was doing the radio program. God says, Declare this in the house of Jacob. Proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as the boundary for the sea a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God, who gives us the rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. Listen to verse 25. Your iniquities have turned these away, and your sins have kept good from you. You see what God says? He says, if you don't fear me. You don't understand that I control everything. Not only do I control judgment, I control blessings as well. And your iniquities and your sin, your disobedience to my commands has kept good from you. Folks, whenever I and our family go through times of lean times, and we all do, because that's part of how God shapes us as well. The first thing I always do is what we call a sin checklist. Is God trying to get my attention? Because sometimes consequences come because of disobedience. Now, sometimes God will prune us for the purposes of growth. But it never hurts to stop and say, Lord, are you trying to get my attention about something? And you don't have to guess at it, by the way, because if you are in sin, he will let you know and you'll know right away. But if you go through that checklist and you don't, you know, this isn't because of sin, then you'll know that this is a test. This is a trial that he's going to have you come out stronger through and blessings. But listen closely. He says, your iniquities have kept good from you. I don't think many of us really understand that aspect of God. We, we can't have in the back of our mind that, yeah, there's one day that a judgment is coming. But how many of us really understand that there is a God who wants to bless? He, the health and wealth people have taken this biblical truth to an unbiblical realm. But there's a truth that many of us are afraid of. God is good and he's generous. He told the nation of Israel, I want to I bless you. I want to pour out blessings. And we're going to get to a passage that says that in just a second. Go to Malachi chapter 1, and we'll get real close to that passage, because the passage I'm going to read to you that you kind of might remember about the pouring out blessings is in Malachi 3. We'll go to Malachi chapter 1, though. Listen to Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. I read this one day, and I almost wanted to cry, because I couldn't believe that God had to say what he says here. In Malachi chapter 1, look at verses 6 through 14. God speaking, he says, a son honors his father and the servant his master. If then I'm a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my fear? 
says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals in sacrifice. Is that not evil? And when you offer those who are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and you bring this as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who is a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. The first time I ever read that and I saw where God said, I'm a good king. I'm a great king. I, I, I actually started to cry a little bit because I thought, isn't that sad that God has to say to us, I'm a good king. I'm a good dad. I'm a, why are you offering me blemished stuff when you're supposed to be presenting as a sacrifice the things that I've said, which is your best, the first of your flock, the healthy, showing that you trust that I will take care of you. But what you do is you go through the motions and you say, what a weariness this is. And folks, if we're honest, every single one of us in this room has had a time or two in our lives thought, got to go to church today. And we see serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord as a drudgery and a duty. Well, I'm going to show you in a second. Part of that reason is we really don't really understand who he is and we've misunderstood his commandment. See, we see his commandments. We hear that word commandment as a rule or an obligation or a duty. You still have no idea who he is. It's not until we come to that place that we realize that when God says thou shalt not, it's best. Or when God says thou shalt, it's best. And the reason he does that is because he created us. He created it all. He knows how it works best. And when we say, if God says it, that's best and believe it. And we're going to get to that tonight and believe it. That's when all of a sudden worship becomes a joy and not a duty or an obligation. We can't wait to go to the Lord and spend time with him in prayer and in his word. There were years that I saw reading my Bible as an obligation and a duty because, I mean, I had to read my Bible every day. And I knew a man on a radio program that every time it started, he'd say, have you read your Bible today? Have you shared your faith? And I felt guilty until finally I came to a place where I realized that this book is not something that I have to do. And God says, don't read it. You don't have to. As I went through a period of saying, all right, Lord, I'm not going to. He changed my heart because I thought he was going to get me. And I wasn't reading his word. I thought he was going to get me. And he started to bless me. It's like, wait a minute, this breaks everything I've been taught. I'm not reading your word and you're blessing me? He said, yes, I'm trying to teach you something. I'm a good king. And I don't bless people that do something out of duty and obligation. And all of a sudden, my heart toward God changed. My heart toward his word changed. And I wanted to read it. I got hungry for it. 
And so now, folks, when I read his word, which is all the time, and I'm meditating on it all the time, it's not because I have to read my Bible today. It's because I want to. And that's why I get so excited. My wife can't hardly handle me when it's time for me to go on a traveling trip or even preaching. She said tonight, me tonight, she said, you get in the mood right before you go to teach the word. I'm like a little kid at Christmas. I'm, I'm ornery. I'm actually, I'm, I'm, let's get out of the house. Let's go. I'm ready to go teach the Bible. I love it because I have fallen in love with this book. I can't wait to show people what he says. And I want you to see that God says, I'm a good king. But the reason they rejected his word the reason why they ignored the word of God is because they saw serving God as a duty or an obligation or a chore. Now, go to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Look at verses 6 through 15. Oh, by the way, when you hear this, I want you to believe what God says. Malachi chapter 3. Look at verses 6 through 15. God says to the nation of Israel, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God, God says? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and the, your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Look at what God said. He said, hey, I want you to test me in this. Bring the full tithe to the storehouse. Now, I'm not going to get into the debate with people because they've argued over whether or not we're in the, we're under, since we're no longer under the law, whether we have to tithe. Let me just say it to you this way. The short answer to that question is this. We're not under the law to tithe. Yet, the Bible actually says, when Jesus talked about the law, he said, you know, the law says this, I say this. And he actually increased it. You know, the law said, you shall not, you know, commit adultery. I'm going to say, don't even look lustily at a woman. You know, the law says don't kill. I'm going to say you even have a bad attitude toward your brother. It's like you're murdering. So when it comes to, the, to who we are now under Christ, actually, if you, all of you say, well, the Bible says I don't have to tithe now because I'm not under law. The tithe was a tenth. If you really do a study of the tithe and the offerings, it adds up to like 35%. And actually, I would lean toward the Bible teaches that those of us who are in Christ might should be given even in that much to God. There's actually, as God said, you know, the law said this, do this. The purpose of God teaching them to tithe. And by the way, I could show you two places in the Old Testament before the law was given where people gave a tenth of what they had to God. That's before the law. Abraham and Melchizedek was one of the ones. Jacob as well. Listen to me closely. The reason why God has us give generously, not only to our churches, but to other ministries and whatever he tells us to support in ministry is because he's teaching us to trust in him that he is good and that he gives generously to all without finding fault. And when we give generously, it shows that we believe that God's going to take care of us. And let me just tell you, when you do that, he shows off. 
There's many times I could tell you story upon story upon story of Becky's in my life and how God's taken us through times where he has to reteach us that lesson. But one that sticks in my mind is a time about, I don't know, six, seven years ago where things were getting a little tight financially. And, and, and to God's glory, we support a lot of missionaries. And it was at that point now where we're starting to wonder because we were watching our savings account dwindle. $400 a month was being taken out of savings just to even make the bills. And we weren't doing anything crazy and we weren't spending money where we shouldn't. We don't have cable. We got all used cars. We were trying to be good with our money. But $400 a month we were spending out of savings. And there was a coming a point where we watched our savings. Within a couple of weeks, the savings would be gone. And we're starting to say things like, do we have a garage sale? Becky's thinking, do I need to get a part-time job? I start thinking about whether or not we're supposed to prayerfully stop supporting missionaries like we've been doing. And while this was all going on, we had a missionary family come and stay with us at our house. And during this time, I was reading this book called God's Smuggler. It was about Brother Andrew who actually went into Russia and other closed curtain, iron curtain countries and smuggled Bibles in. And he told a story in there about how he was coming to this one checkpoint and his Volkswagen bug was full of Bibles. He had them hidden everywhere, but he knew that if, he had, if they found a Bible as he was going into, they're going to arrest him. His wife and kids would never see him again and he'd end up in a prison. And so he was praying as he sat there for six hours waiting as each car in front of them went, went through an hour of examination. They're pulling the hubcaps off. They're pulling the motors apart. They're shredding these cars to just check everything. And he knew there's no way I'm going through this checkpoint without them seeing the Bibles. And so he just said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And God spoke to him and said, I don't want you to trust in your trickery or your ability to hide Bibles. I want you to trust in me. And God told him to take some Bibles out of hiding and stack them right on the passenger seat right next to him. And so he, here he did. I mean, it was stupid. But he snuck around behind, pulled a couple of Bibles out of hiding and stuck them on the front seat. And when it came time for him to get up there, he started to get out of his car because everybody's been making everybody get out. They shut his door and told him to move on. And he looked like, well, maybe they want me to pull forward. So he drives forward. As he drives forward, he looks in his rearview mirror and they're pulling the guy out of the car behind him. And, pull, and they didn't even check his car. And that day, as I was praying about our financial situation, and we're trying to think of all these ways we can help God fix our financial situation. God said, I want you to put some Bibles on the front seat and do something stupid that shows you trust me. And he told me a number that I was supposed to go out and tell those missionary people that are staying at our house, show us how to put it on, set it up with our automatic draft. We're going to support you so much a month for the rest of your lives. And so we, I, talked to, I called Becky into the bedroom. I told her the whole story. We prayed. She said, let's do it. So we went out. We told this couple, show us how to do it. We sat down on the computer, set it up. There was automatic withdrawal that so much more now was going to come out every month. The next day, the next day, oh, by the way, let me tell you, not only were we having $400 a month loss, we also had a trip coming up because of visiting Becky's grandmother that we didn't have the money to do. It was gonna, we did the math with hotels and gas and everything. It was going to cost us $3,000 to make this trip, and we didn't have it. The next day, I go to a board meeting for my ministry, and the guy's on the board. One of them walks in, and he starts handing papers around. And we're like, what's this? He said, well, I told you all back in uh, November to pray about whether or not we're supposed to give Jim a raise. And no one ever got back with me. It's now May. We're deciding today. I said, do you all want me to leave the room? They said, nope, sit here and listen. They start going back. Well, the cost of living has gone up 3% every year. And it's been so many years since he's had a raise and boom, boom, boom. By the time it was all said and done and they got on phone call with the rest of the board in Dallas 
and they had a conference call. They voted to give us a 12% raise right there on the spot. Oh, guess what? That took care of that $400 a month that we were losing right there. It took care of it. Oh, on top of that, one man said, well, we uh, were supposed to vote on this back in November and we didn't. Can we cut Jim a check for the raise that he missed out on from January until now? They said, done. And that check came to $3,000 and it covered our trip. And oh, I didn't also tell you our church, instead of doing a mission offering here and a mission offering there, does once a year big missions month where they ask everybody to just prayerfully give and to give generously and the church divides some to the different mission groups. And it was time for us to give and we wanted to give 500 bucks, but we didn't have anything. And this one man on the board says, let me just do one more thing while we're here. He said, uh, whenever Jim speaks at some churches, instead of them writing his, the check out to Just a Preacher Ministries, they write it out to Jim Johnson. And then the church will send Jim a 1099. But Jim doesn't take that money. He gives it to the ministry. He signs the check over. But then Jim pays taxes on money he never got. See, I get a salary. Whatever money you give me, the money that's given in the offering here, goes to Just a Preacher. I get a salary. And when checks are made out by a church to me, I just sign the check over to the ministry, but then the church sends me a 1099. I pay taxes on money I never saw. And this other guy on the board says, that's added up to about $500 in taxes he's paid that he didn't have to. And they wrote me out a check for 500 bucks that we could just hand over to First Baptist Merritt Island as our mission offering in less than 24 hours of us putting the Bibles on the front seat. God showed off. Oh, I could spend the rest of the night telling you another one and another one and another one and another one. He's a good God. He says, test me. See if I won't open up the doors of heaven. But the reason why we miss out on the blessings of God is because we've rejected his word. We think we know better. We think it's a chore. We think he's not good. I could go on. Jesus showed up in Jerusalem and he said to the nation of Israel as he wept, he said, if you'd only knew what had brought you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. You guys missed out on it. I was here. I wanted to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you weren't willing. They also didn't want to hear about judgment, mourning, or woe. Remember back in Ezekiel, he ate that scroll, and on that scroll, and the written on it, front and back, were words of lamentation and mourning and woe. The nation of Israel didn't want to hear about judgment or mourning or woe. They only wanted to hear about positive things. Does that sound familiar? Go to Jeremiah chapter 6. You say, Jim, we've been studying the book of Ezekiel and spent more time in Jeremiah. Told you. Jeremiah and Ezekiel were contemporaries and their writings were together and they have to be taught together. Jeremiah chapter 6, look at verses 10 through 21. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised, they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I'm weary of holding it in. Pour it out on, upon the children and, of, and in the street and upon the gathering of young men also. Both husband and wife shall be taken, the elderly and the very aged. Their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They don't even know how to blush. 
Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At that time I will punish them. They shall be overthrown, says the Lord. When God was sending His prophets to say, a judgment is coming on the nation of Israel and on Jerusalem because of your sin, there were prophets out there that were saying, nah, don't listen to that. It's actually going to be all right. Don't listen to those people that say that Jesus is coming back soon in the judgment. Actually, no, there's going to be a time of revival and there's going to be this great movement on the earth. Doesn't the Bible say that when the world is saying peace, peace, judgment will come on them suddenly as a woman in labor pains? Don't listen to the preachers today that are saying it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay for those of us who are in Christ. That doesn't mean that the judgment isn't going to come. The Bible says it's going to come. Go to Jeremiah chapter 14. Look at verses 13 through 16. Then I said, Our Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I'll give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. Sorry, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine those prophets shall be consumed. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out into the streets of Jerusalem, victims of a famine and sword with none to bury them, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, for I will pour out their evil upon them. Folks, let me just tell you, if anybody tries to come and say, hey, it's going to be okay, the world's going to turn around for Christ, there's going to be this great revival, just ask them a simple question. Show me where in the Bible. Because I could show you places upon place that the scripture says very clearly. Well, I'll show them to you now. Let me, go, let me read one more from Jeremiah, and then I'll show you a couple of places. Look at Jeremiah 30, uh, 23. Jeremiah 23. Look at verses 16 and 17. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you and to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart. They say, no disaster shall come upon you. So folks, in that time that God was about to bring judgment on, on the city of Jerusalem and, and, and the two tribes of Judah there who are still left there in Jerusalem in that area, in that time that God was about to bring judgment, he sent prophets to say that the judgment is coming, but there were also prophets out there saying, no, nah, it's not going to be that way. Do you not think that it's going to be like that nowadays in the, in the time in which, which we live? So I want you to know what the scripture says. I wish I could tell you that it's going to be good for the United States. Not according to the scriptures. I've got to be faithful to tell you what the Bible says. It isn't looking good for us. As we continually walk in disobedience, God's given us over to our shameful lusts. It's obvious that our leadership has turned their back on God. And this isn't a Republican-Democrat issue. This is a nation issue. Let me just tell you, as we continue to, with the rest of the world, tell Israel to divide the land for peace, the scripture says that's a no-no to the nations that do that. I could go on and on. Look at the scripture, though, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 4. Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, 
but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Go back to chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. Look at chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Folks, let me just tell you, when Jesus wrote his message to the churches in the church age, when we get to the end of the church age, and especially to the time of the Laodicean time period, which is the end of the church age, what was he saying even to the church? You think you're okay, but you're not. You're, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you just open, I'll, 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 get it, I'll be a part of what you're doing. And folks, the Bible's very clear that a worldwide apostasy is going to occur and is occurring in our day when the world will become more and more and more wicked. And the salt, the church, is losing its saltiness because the church today is listening to the preachers that say, it's all good. Your best life now. There are preachers out there that are filling stadiums, preaching messages of, I only talk about the positive. There's so much bad in this world. I just want to talk about the good. I was on the golf course a couple days ago. A young man found out I was a preacher. And he, it was interesting, he and his buddy, his buddy was from Germany, his buddy from Germany didn't even know what a preacher was. And then his buddy that was from here said, I'm kind of a Joel Osteen guy. I said, as I was trying to lay some seed and plant and water, I said, let me just say this. Joel Osteen has himself said that he only wants to talk about positive things. How can you talk to someone about their need for Jesus to forgive their sins if we're not allowed to talk about sin? He said, I never thought about that. I said, just think about that. And I'll let the Spirit of God take it from there. Folks, let me just tell you, in these days in which a judgment is coming on the world, not just America, but the world, there'll be preachers out there at this same time that will be lying and saying, no, there's going to be a great revival on the earth. The Bible doesn't say it. The only place they could even try to say it is if they took you to Revelation during the tribulation period where the multitudes from every nation and people and language which you could not count were in white robes praising the Lord. Oh, by the way, they were all killed for their faith <laughs> and told to wait a little longer until the rest of their brothers who had been killed in the same way were put to death. The nation of Israel only wanted to hear about positive things. And our churches today, we just want to talk about the love of God. Oh, He does love you. But that same God that loves you has to judge sin. And if you're not under the blood of Jesus Christ, you are still separated from God and deserving of His wrath. And it's coming on those who reject His provision for their sin. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 3. I think that's the book we're studying. Ezekiel chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 11. As I've said before, I'm not teaching you the book of Ezekiel. I'm teaching you the Bible using the book of Ezekiel. Actually, that didn't come from me. That came from a lady years ago. She said, Jim, you're not teaching us the book of Philippians. You're teaching us the Bible using the book of Philippians. I love that. I love that. Look at Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat the scroll and go. Go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. 
Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of foreign speech and a hard language with words whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel would not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery, harder than flint, have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all of my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart, and hear with your ears. And the, go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. So this is what we're going to do. This eating of the words, this section here, I want you to see this eating of the words that he was given is not a new concept, nor is it the last time that it's going to happen. If you go back to, guess what book? Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 15. Look at verse 16. Jeremiah chapter 15. Look at verse 16. Look at what Jeremiah says. And you'll see it sounds very familiar. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Your words came and I ate them. We're going to deal with that in just a second. Yes, we're going to go to Revelation as well. Go to Revelation chapter 10. Look at verses 8 through 11. Revelation chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Once again, we see that to us, the message that we have tastes sweet because we know the joy of this salvation. But at the same time, why did it make John's stomach bitter? Because he also knew that he was going to be preaching to the nations about judgment, lamentation, mourning, and woe. Oh, and by the way, we looked at this last week. What did Jesus say was going to be the reaction of the world to this message? Rejection. If they hated me, they'll hate you. Wide is the path that leads to destruction, and many go that way. Narrow is the road that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. Folks, nowhere, as we touched on last week, does the Bible say that the church was going to change the world for Christ. Oh, he'll build his church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And people are being saved across the globe as the message has gone out over the last 2,000 years. But to be honest with you, this whole mentality of we need to get bigger and bigger and bigger and grow is actually not from Jesus. He said, I just told you to go plant and water. I'm the one that determines the increase. The Lord adds to their number daily those who are being saved, and that doesn't mean daily in your local congregation. It might be that he's saving people here in Brevard, and he's not doing it at your church, but he's doing it somewhere else. That's okay. Because what happens is, is when we start making the focus, reaching people for Christ and getting people to come to our church, we all of a sudden, when we are not seeing results start to come up with ways that we can produce results 
And we wonder why. Well, think about this. Didn't Jesus talk about the parable of the soils, how the word was scattered, the seed was scattered? Some fell on hard path, never responded. Others fell on rocky soil, sprung up, but had no root, and it withered when trouble came. Others fell on rocky soil, I'm sorry, thorny soil, and the cares of this world, the seedfulness of wealth choked it, and it had no fruit. Some seed fell on the good soil, and some produced a crop 30 and 60 and 100 fold. Let me ask you a question. With the seed scattered all over, what percentage even responded to the seed? Only a quarter. Only a quarter of it were really saved. And so, folks, you want to start enjoying what it means to be in Christ and to be a part of a local fellowship? Stop counting how many people are here. Don't take attendance. Just let God be God and do what he's going to do and you focus on loving each other and encouraging each other and growing in your walk with the Lord. And if he chooses to take you through a time of growth, praise him. But don't think you got it figured out. Because if you look at the scriptures, God would grow a church and then scatter them. Because he's not worried about local church numbers as much as we've been taught. And how many churches have gotten themselves into a trouble because they focused on growth. God provided the growth, whether it was of man or of God, sometimes I'm going to question but a growth showed up and they built real big sanctuaries. And then what happened? The pastor moved or something else happened and now they can't afford and they get this big building and they're fighting with each other over how to pay for it. We focused on the wrong thing. Just let God do what he's going to do and just love each other and grow in your walk with the Lord. Now, to eat or to ingest the words of God is to make his words your life. I want you to hear this, and I pray that in the time we have left tonight, that this truth begins to really sink in. To eat the scroll, or to ingest the scroll, is to mean, it means to make his words your very life. i got to be honest with you. My brain works like that now all the time. Whatever I hear runs through the filter of God's word. That doesn't make it always fun to live with me. There have been times my wife will say, I didn't say that so that you could preach. I just was saying it to say how I felt. But I have a tendency sometimes to hear stuff running through the filter and say, that doesn't match up with the Word of God. And I'm learning that just because he shows me stuff doesn't mean I'm always supposed to speak. It's part of learning about my gift. We'll maybe have time to touch on that tonight. Go to John chapter 6. Look at verse 35. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John chapter 6, look at verses 47 through 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that no one may eat of it and not that, sorry, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the, li give for the life of the world is my flesh. So here Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Now, the scripture goes on and say here that when he said this, some of the disciples said, this is kind of a wacky teaching. He wants us to eat his flesh and his blood. Uh, we're, we're out of here, you know, and they went away. By the way, that's the soil that falls on the rocks. Sorry, the seed that falls on the rocky soil. It sprung up. They were disciples of Jesus, but they went away 
when trouble came. They didn't understand it. This is hard. This doesn't make sense. And they went away because they really didn't have salvation. By the way, Judas was the seed that falls on the thorny soil. He had everybody else fooled, didn't he? They thought he was one of them. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choked Judas. He was a picture of the thorny soil. But Jesus said, if you eat of me and you drink of me, you'll have eternal life. What's he saying? Believe in him. Now, go back to Ezekiel. Look at it's really worded very well in verse chapter 3, verse 10. You got it. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Go ahead, Jim. Jim, I wish you to read verse 63. Go ahead, read it for us. It just says, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profit nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit, and they are life. Yes. The words his word. Exactly. It's the word of God. And that's what we have to, we have to ingest the word of God. We have to eat the word of God. In other words, we need to make it our very life. But look at Ezekiel 3, verse 10. He explains it for us right there. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you receive where? In your heart and hear with your ears. In other words, take it to heart. See, there's one thing to say you know the word of God. It's another thing to say you believe the word of God. See, a lot of people quote scripture to me left and right. You know, I could go, I could get you all started on scriptures and you could finish quoting them to me. But do we believe them? I mean, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? Lean what? Not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and what? He will direct your path. Well, what do we do? We sit around worrying and we try to figure out a way and we don't believe God's going to speak to us. See, it's one thing to know the word of God. It's another thing to believe the word of God. It's one thing to hear the Word of God. It's another thing to eat the Word of God and move it into your heart. Do you know it on paper or do you know it in your heart? Some have tasted God's Word, but they spit it out. Just because you grew up learning to memorize Bible verses doesn't mean it made it to your heart. Go to Psalm 119. I could read to you the whole chapter, but that would take us a few hours. Look at verses 1 through 16. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. By the way, look at the different ways the Word of God is described. The law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in His ways. You have commanded your precepts. To be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. You see it? There's, it, keeps, it keeps using different words to describe the word of God. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I keep your statutes. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding, guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your company. Sorry, your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Jump over to verse 97 in Psalm 119. Look at verse 97 through 105. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. By the way, did David see the word of God as a chore or a duty? No, he saw it as a buffet. 
is a meditation all the day. Your commandments make me, makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Does that sound familiar? Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This one young man I was telling you about on the golf course, he said, what do you do? What church are you pastor of? I said, actually, I'm not pastor of a church right now. What I've been doing for the last 10 years is traveling around the country and speaking to Christians and to churches. And I said, let me tell you what I do. I take them and I show them what the Bible says. And the churches go, we didn't know that it said that. I said, because actually most Christians today have never really read the Bible. And my job is to just show them what the Bible says, get them excited about the Word of God, and let God take it from there to line them up. And I said, I have a lot of fun doing that. But folks, listen to this. We're going to get to the point where we really believe. See, it's one thing to say, is this the Word of God? Amen. Do you believe it? Do you live like this is true? Or do you take parts you like and parts you don't? See, there's a difference between eating and digesting and tasting and spitting out. Most Christians, unfortunately, have tasted and spit out. I want to challenge you to eat and ingest. Go ahead. I think it's David Jeremiah that said, a man whose Bible is falling apart rarely is. That's right. You got it. But there's also something here that I want you to see back in Ezekiel 3 that's a struggle to all of us. There's something here that's a struggle to all of us. Go back to Ezekiel 3, look at verse 9, and also back to chapter 2, verse 6. Ezekiel 3, 9. I'm just going to tell you right now, if you're serious about making the Word of God your life, if you're serious about sticking with the Word, eating the Word, making it your heart, making your life, you're going to find resistance even in the church. Ezekiel chapter 3, look at verse 9. He says, uh, like, every, like emery harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks for their rebellious house. Go back to chapter 2. Look at verse 6. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks. In other words, he said, you're going to get opposition. And they're not only going to oppose you, they're going to look at you funny, they're going to treat you badly, and they're going to treat you, I'm going to make you harder than them. And I'm going to tell you right now that one of the things that we have all struggled with, and you may be surprised at this, pastors have struggled with even more than the average church member, is a fear of what other people may think. And I'm going to say some things to you tonight in closing here that I'm just going to just share with you that God had me write down. And He knows why I'm writing these things. But there are many of us who... Have, we know what God's word says, but we don't walk in obedience to God's word because we're kind of more worried about what the reaction will be of the people around us. Let me give you an example. There are some of us who were baptized as infants, but we know that that wasn't our baptism. We know the Bible talks about your baptism being a profession of your faith and it comes after your salvation. But we're afraid to be baptized the way the Bible says to be as an identification with Christ after our salvation because we're worried about mama and how it'll hurt her feelings. 
We're fearing man more than we fear God. I know we shouldn't be living together or sleeping together. But she may leave me if I say we shouldn't do this. Do you fear man more than you fear God? I know preachers that say I'm going to avoid teaching and preaching on certain subjects because so-and-so might get mad. Or that family is a large part of our giving and so they might leave. And I know people that avoid sections of the Word of God. Folks, let me just say to you, as Ezekiel was told, be not rebellious like that house. You share what I tell you to say. This is important. Don't, listen. Don't miss something here. Because there's some people that think that it's their job to tell everybody what they think. They take this as their opportunity to say, well, I'm just being faithful to the word of God. And so I have to just tell everybody what I think God's word says. No, 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 no. Remember how I shared with you earlier? Sometimes my wife will just share an, you know, an expression, you know, or something she feels at that moment. It's not how she really feels. But you know, you ever done that? You ever said something you didn't really mean? And then I'll feel a need to preach. And God didn't tell me to preach. See, it's one thing to speak the truths of God. It's another thing to speak them when God says to speak them and how God says to speak. You know, Job's friends, if you do a study of the words of Job, you'll find that everything they said about God was biblically true. I challenge you to show me anything that Job's friends said that wasn't true of God. I could do a fun study and take you through just the words of his three friends and show you how everything they said matched up with Scripture. I could back it up with all the rest of the Bible. Everything they said was true about God. Go to Job 42, though, and look at what God says about what they said. The book of Job, chapter 42, look at verses 7 through 9. Job 42, look at verse 7. After the Lord had spoken these words to, to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My anger burns against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly." For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Now, I could actually show you where Job said stuff about God that wasn't true. Job got so, ex so exasperated at one point, he said, this isn't fair. God's not fair. He even said that there's more hope for a tree than there is a man. You cut a tree down, at least a shoot starts to come back. What is there for man? I wish I had never been born. I wish I could have a face-to-face -face with God and I could defend myself. But God says that what Job's friends said wasn't right about him and what Job said was right. Listen closely. Because what Job was saying was this cataclysmic events, all these events in my life is not because of my sin. And that was right. Job's friends, even though everything they said about God was right, it didn't apply in Job's situation, and that wasn't what God was doing in Job's situation, and what they said about God was wrong. See, we have a tendency sometimes to see people going through trials, and we think we know why. And we, like Job's friends, when someone, God is pruning them and taking them through a trial, we want to come and say, this is because of your sin. I told you earlier, 
When Becky and I went through that time, we did the sin checklist. There wasn't any, but God was emptying our savings account. But he put us in a situation where he taught us more about who he was, and he displayed his glory in a way that we'll never forget. Again, I wish I could tell you the stories upon stories through all our lives. He's done it over and over, and he will continue till the day he takes us home. But if someone had come and say, Jim, the reason why this is happening is because you are in sin. You should have never left First Baptist in the Atlantic. You should have stayed. You know what I'm saying? It's real easy for people to assume they know why God's doing what God's doing. Be careful that you are not afraid to speak what God says, because too many of us are afraid to speak what God says. But make sure, thus says the Lord. You understand? And you might even pull out a verse that says, God says, but are you sure that it is what God's doing in that person's life right now? See, there's nothing wrong with coming alongside a brother or sister in a trial and say, hey, how can I pray for you? Let me show you who God is and how God works. But you have to decide for yourself what is the situation here. Just recently, I was in Michigan and had a chance to meet with a couple of pastors. And one of the pastors wanted me to meet with this other pastor and tell him how he needed to make this decision because he's making a different decision. And this one pastor wanted me to convince this young pastor to do this. And I could see it on the face of the pastor who had brought me up there to meet with this other young man, that he wasn't too excited about how I was taking this conversation because I was saying, what do you think God's telling you? And the young man was saying, I think God's wanting me to do such and so. And that other pastor was like, I don't believe that's of God. And I said, well, let's talk about who God is and how he works. Let's talk about the scriptures and who God is and how he works. And I said, if you can look me in the eye, and you can look me in the eye and tell me, I know God's told me to do this, I will support you in everything here. And the other pastor was like, what are you doing? By the end of the conversation, the young man broke down in tears. And he said, I know what I'm supposed to do. And that's not to do what I thought. God's made clear to me that this isn't his will. The other pastor was like, Phew. But see, he wanted me to just come and tell him, no. I've learned my lesson, folks. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Too many people come to me and say, Jim, what do you think I ought to do? Let me tell you right now. You come and ask me, here's my question. What's God telling you? If you say, you, I don't know, can't help you then, except to tell you who God is and how he works. But the specifics, I'm not going to be one of Job's friends. Because I don't know anybody in this room righteous enough to pray for me. No, I'm just kidding. All right. But um, wife. my wife. Very good answer. Very good answer. <laughs> Folks, when God tells us to speak, we're to do so boldly but in love. But make sure, thus says the Lord. All right. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.